1: Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston, We're the place in Freightways where we talk about diesel and oil. Got to drill for oil to get it, so that's why we call the show Drilling Deep. And then we talk about whatever we feel like talking about. This week, we're going to speak with Mike Roth. He's been here before with us at Drilling Deep. He is the head of the North American Council for Freight Efficiency, and they've been getting results in from their latest run-on list test of various technologies and techniques, to improve improve fuel efficiency, he's going to be here with us in a few minutes and talk about some of the results of their test this year, which focused on battery electric vehicles. Last Friday, when the prior edition of Drilling Deep dropped, ultra-low sulfur diesel on the CME commodity exchange settled that day at a little more than $3.36 per gallon. Today, as I record this, it dropped below $3 per gallon for the first time since the end of July. It really has been a stunning decline. So let's talk about why. It seems like just a week ago that diesel was going to rise forever. Of course, nothing ever rises forever, but you know, sometimes you get that feeling. And if you're listening to this, you're probably wondering why you haven't seen much more of this move at the pump. And you haven't. As I've noted before, whether it's on the way up or the way down, Retailers are not really set up to deal with the kind of big, wild swings that we're seeing right now in wholesale markets because the wholesale markets will track the futures markets pretty closely. Those wholesale markets are keying off what is going on in futures and spot markets. Retailers are just not of the mindset to go up seven cents one day and down 11 cents the next. Retail prices really, not just for diesel, but for gasoline too, are the ultimate lagging indicator. What has happened in this market? So much, but I'd say right now, let's talk about the fact that markets are tied to macroeconomics, and those macroeconomics have been gripped this past week with concerns about higher interest rates as the 10-year U.S. note has plummeted, sending interest rates higher. Higher interest rates means that holding inventories gets pretty expensive. And yes, we've talked about concerns about low diesel inventory, inventories going into winter, as a reason why prices would go higher, it's still a factor. US inventories in the most recent report did fall somewhat. Uh, not a lot, but they're still very tight. But at a certain point, the desire to avoid building inventories becomes a drag on demand. Inventories tie up capital, and those higher interest rates are a real discouragement to putting stocks into storage. That's definitely a factor in the decline in diesel prices this week. Let's stop right here and note that it isn't just diesel dropping. Brent crude, the world benchmark, is solidly below $90 per barrel. Just a few days after it seemed that $100 was inevitable. That's going to bring down diesel as well. But diesel is falling faster than Brent. The spread between the two uh, this week, when comparing just on a front month to front month basis, fell under $1 per gallon. In the past few weeks, it's been over $1.20 a few times. So you can see how dramatically diesel has weakened relative to crude. On an outright basis, it is Thursday as I record this, and at the price of ultra-low sulfur diesel on the CME at 9.30 this morning, turned out to be the settlement. It would be down 46 cents per gallon since last Friday. When will that show up in retail diesel prices? Again, that sort of drop in futures markets with that fast does not do well in terms of showing up at the pump quickly. It's frustrating to consumers, but wholesale numbers do come down roughly in tandem with futures prices, so yeah, there's likely to be a windfall for retailers in the next few days or even weeks, but there are times when things are reversed and the retailers get hammered, so it all sort of balances out at the end. It's really incredible how much the outlook on demand has changed in just the last few weeks. Not diesel demand so much, but world petroleum demand in general. The market seemed to really be latching on to the idea that higher interest rates are going to severe, severely crip economic growth, and with it, oil demand will sink. The weekly EIA numbers this week seem to show a sharp downturn in gasoline demand in the. US, though the online chatter was that there was some indication that that might have been an outlier. Let's face it, the idea of central banks has been or the goal of central banks has been to drive up interest rate, so slow economic activity, and put inflation in check. It is possible, it is possible that we're at that point. If so, oil is not going to be exempt from the slowdown. You're seeing that in the price. Hey, moving on here now on Drilling Deep. We've had Mike Roth here as a guest before. I think this is the first time since we went video that we've had him, uh, at least a couple of times going back when we were audio only. And while it's easy to think of diesel, whenever you think about the North American Council for Freight Efficiency, which he heads, it's starting to broaden its research into electric vehicles. That is one of the things we want to talk to him, talk to about him, about him today. So anyway, Mike, welcome back to Drilling Deep.
0: Yeah, thanks, John. It's uh, fun to be here. Yeah, and You know, we, we talk about freight in terms of, uh, you know, all, all the way down, I guess you will, to uh, e-commerce, vans, uh, class three, all the way up to uh, class eight tractor trailers across Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. So, uh, it, you know, it's 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 fairly broad. Um, and um, a lot of different applications, truck sizes, uh, you know, regulations, um, lots of things to, to deal with in moving freight around the, uh, the region.
1: Let's let us 1st look. So why don't you give kind of a summary of what your group
0: does, the NACFE? Yeah, so we were started in two thousand nine. Really, um, the 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 spark to start us was um, high fuel prices. I mean, if you just look, you know, there are decades we were down around a dollar, dollar and a half, and then it was like this oh my god moment for the industry, yeah, and uh, a- you know for.
1: Yeah, for July 3rd, 2008, all
0: time high in the price of West Texas Intermediate. There you go. So and I would combine the cost with the realization that why not work on fuel from a cost perspective? Um, But a lot of people thought, well, rates will go up when fuel prices are high. We got this surcharge um, thing. And um, it was really a time where fuel prices went up and the industry recognized, let's work on the cost side. So over the decade or so we've been at it, you know, um, we've seen trucks go from you know, the best out there go from 7, 8-mile-per-gallon and freight all the way up to, you know, 10, 11. Uh, and, you know, we've got super trucks from the, the truck manufacturers that are doing 14, 15, 16. So uh, that, that along with the greenhouse gas regulations that have been sort of a, a push as well as um, various different polls. And diesels become a lot better, um, but you know we noticed uh, you know in the last end of the last decade that um, you know I wasn't going to stop there, and this zero emission freight movement, or sometimes we call it decarbonizing. I mean it has come faster than I thought, and it's just not the regulators. I mean it's the it's the the, the public, corporations um, wanting more um, you know uh, responsible freight movement. I'll call it. I mean maybe that's a little blunt. But uh, decarbonizing movement freight, and that's how NACFI got involved really in 2017 with electric trucks, and now hydrogen trucks, and, and um, you know, everything between sort of petroleum diesel up to and including these uh, zero emission alternatives that are really becoming, uh, you know, I guess I, I, if I look at myself, even in the mirror, John, I'm surprised um, how well these battery electric trucks do, even in, even in long distance hauling.
1: Right, let's talk a little bit. So your, your various programs, I guess, I don't know whether to call it an annual program or an ongoing prog- program, has been called Run On Less, and that the whole idea is to see how far you can run on less fuel. And your recent initiative, and I, I guess it's ongoing, you can talk about it, is called Run On Less Electric Depot. So uh, obviously it has electric BEVs, battery uh, electric vehicles at its heart. Where's that program stand? Has it been completed? I know it launched recently. Is it still ongoing?
0: Yeah. So it's kind of done. I'll ex- I'll, I'll, uh, I'll uh, explain, John. Um, you know, we do these every two years. It started with in 2016, basically the team I run saying, I wonder what the best of the best is out there. You know, these truckers are bragging about their fuel economy, like people brag about their weight and golf scores. So we went out and sought to find out. And we did one in 17 and 19, almost exclusively on diesels. Uh, we had one natural gas truck in 2019. And then in 20, um uh, 21, And now in 23, we focus solely on battery electric vehicles or battery electric trucks. And there we went down to class three. So it's been a huge learning experience over the last few years, going really quite bluntly from, hey, are these things like uh, Bigfoots or Sasquatches? You know, we hear about them, but they're probably not really there, To Yes, they're here. And in small um, trucks, vans, step vans, medium duty box trucks, and even short distance urban heavy duty tractors. Uh, they're really getting the job done and doing quite well. Um, now there's a lot of things to keep working on. I'm sure we'll get into it, but, um, they are, uh, they are so simple truck architecture, you know, batteries, motors, electronics, and you go, uh, you don't, you know, no after treatment, much less, uh, moving parts, just, um, um, very, uh, simple, technology in a, you know, in a business that's gotten really complex with these diesel engines and then looking at things like hybridization and natural gas and other things, uh, you know, these are really, uh, uh, pretty complex trucks and battery electric trucks sort of simplify all that. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right
1: now, so you went up, did you say, I couldn't tell whether you said you went down to class three or up to class three. So so were there, were there any class eight vehicles in the
0: test? Oh yeah, absolutely. So here in 2023, it's about depots. So this is about scaling. This this We went and saw it eight places in North America where there were 15 or more electric trucks. Um, And what we found was, um, and and convinced, 10 fleets. These are generally the big fleets, UPS, Penske, Schneider, but also, um, uh, you know, Pepsi and so forth, but also one one or two smaller fleets, like a a company called OK Produce in Fresno, who are already at 20% of their class eight fleet out of their site um, being a battery electric trucks. So we have a handful of things like um, 40 transits, GM brake drop, Freightliner custom chassis, small vehicles like you'd see in e-commerce and um, you know other sort of um, inner city urban deliveries. And then up through one box truck. And then, um, you know, we've got a, a lot of heavy duty tractors from the traditional manufacturers like Freightliner and Volvo, but also from BYD, Nikola um, and Tesla who joined the run. So the focus this time was how do you go from like one or two trucks on a site to 15 or as much as 82? One of the sites, a Schneider, you know, you think Schneider, right? Truckload carrier, no way are they looking at electric trucks. Well, they have 82 e operating right now with only 10 diesels augmenting it in a very um, classic uh, intermodal drayage operation, moving to the rail yards and the warehouses across Southern California. And they're making it happen with, uh, with a truck that, you know, an E-Cascadia that's kind of limited in range to about 230 miles per charge, but they're getting multiple charges in per shift. Uh, They're figuring out how to use that truck in a way that continues to still uh, meet the needs of what they're doing. So a lot of class eights, um, including the Tesla semi, which put up some huge numbers. Well, let's, let's talk
1: about what, 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 where the test was. Did all these vehicles return to the depot at night or were these, did any of them make sort of traditional over the road runs or whether the driver stops for the night and sleeps in the sleeper cab?
0: Well, let me say first, John, that these were real trucks, real freight, real routes. This, none of this is made up. This isn't like a you know a marketing test or you know we loaded it with X amount of concrete blocks. This is real freight at these locations. So. They're all, they're all moving goods um, like they normally would had run on less, not been there, basically that. And so um, there were not any long-haul disparate route um, truckload kind of runs here. This is all pretty much return to base. So a lot of day cabs, um, even small trucks and, and uh, vans and step vans in uh, urban delivery, when we get up into the heavy duty tractors, though, I would say, you know, we, we segment the market here at NACFI in, um, you know, what you just described, sort of the, what we like to call long haul disparate routes. And then we, um, also say that heavy tractors are also put into return to base, typically D-cab, but not always, but return to base. And we, we have return to base in three segments short, medium, and long. So, uh, for the long, uh, regional haul, return to base heavy-duty tractors, uh, you know, a lot like LTL and some other things. They do long distances, and, you know, battery electric trucks have been viewed as not appropriate for that segment, and that, that will have to go hydrogen or stay diesel or something. Um, one of the big learnings we've had here is, is I'm not so sure about that. We aren't either. So this Return to base makes the electric truck or really any of these alternative fuels a lot simpler because they come back to a site where you can put the infrastructure there. So all 10 of these sites have put in place charging at the sites. In some cases, if the truck stays there all night and only runs one shift, it's relatively slow charging because, you know, it gets back and it has 10 or 11 hours to charge. The the cheaper the charger, the cheaper the the equipment that you put in place, the less demand on the utility, and quite frankly, have ability to then charge when the electricity is cheaper. But as we get up into slip seat operations of these, uh, you know, medium and long haul, uh, then uh, you know becomes more challenging, and so you need faster charging and so forth. So what we've kind of found uh, in the run, and and you know, we 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 watched twenty two trucks at these 10 sites, and we push detailed data to the dashboard. And quite honestly, a lot of people look at us and go, uh, how did you get, you know, Penske and Pepsi and all these companies to allow you to get this kind of level of detail? I mean, it's like state of charge over the day. And when it charged, what did the charge curves look like? I and mean, it's pretty detailed data. But they did it to help the industry. Uh, they know they're the early adopters, and they want the industry to to, to move faster and learn quicker. So so they did it. So uh, in these Smaller depots with shorter routes. Electrification is really quite a good option right now. Um, you don't need as much utility um, discussions and, and support. The trucks are smaller, cheaper. They tend to not operate overnight. For the longer return to base, I got to tell you, with this run, I think uh, battery electric trucks can do the job in more of the market than we thought going in uh, because of what we're seeing with fast charging and, um, you know, bigger battery packs and the efficiency of these vehicles to to perform what they need to perform. They're not ready yet for the long haul disparate routes, and we don't have an infrastructure that can support it. But for those return to base long haul, uh, we think it might be more of an option than we thought going in.
1: Right. So so you're still talking about something that might be pulling a 53-foot trailer. It just isn't going over the road with an overnight stay.
0: Right. That's exactly right. I mean, it really is helpful for it to return to a known base to put that infrastructure in place. And then the, the fleet has control over that uh, the whole, the whole thing, the trucks, the charging, the freight, the drivers, uh, they have control over where in the long haul, you really have to find the charging infrastructure, which isn't there.
1: Yeah. Now, uh, what did, what did you find in terms of cost? I mean, you would have done this at a time when diesel prices were relatively elevated. Um, and, you know, you, you, you open up by talking about uh, times when uh, the, the rates are high and the diesel prices are high along with it. We're in like kind of the really ugly spot right now with low per mile rates and high diesel prices. So what did you find in terms of the efficiency, not really just the physical efficiency, but the economic efficiency of switching out from kind of a higher cost diesel down to electricity, which is a fairly fixed cost? And, you know, would, would the efficiency work if the diesel price was low as well?
0: Yeah. So, for anybody that says, um, you know, they know or they think they know the total cost of ownership of electric versus diesel and anything in this, you know, uh, heavy-duty atmosphere, I say you don't know. So, we don't know yet, John. I mean, it, it, you know, we can start to point to things we're, we're starting to learn. I mean, right now, the trucks are pretty expensive. We have incentives um, that can help that, but the incentives aren't going to be there a long time. I submit the high truck costs are going to mitigate. As we get to some scale, but also as we learn and understand how simple these powertrains are, um, and how much less work it is to both build maintain and operate these trucks, um, that we'll see, um, you know, cost, what we call here at NACD, like difficult to monetize benefits. Um, you know, one that I talk about all the time is truck drivers. They love these trucks. I'm convinced. The driver turnover will be lower when um, companies run electric trucks rather than than diesel or natural gas or other other trucks. I mean, they're just so easy to drive. And we've got many testimonials on the videos right now on this run, runonless.com, where you can see what the drivers are saying about it. But there's others, too. I mean, from just simpler maintenance facilities to, you know, some of these trucks go inside to, uh, to uh, get loaded, all the e-commerce companies in the run, UPS uh, puerulators in the run, um, they, they go inside. And so, you know, that has fumes as exhaust and people loading and unloading, and, and, you know, it gets hot in the summer, cold in the winter because doors are open, exhaust is going. So I could go on all day, but we're finding a lot of benefits in the total cost of ownership of these trucks that are very difficult to monetize. So, um, resale value is another one that people bring up a lot. So there's just a bunch of things that we won't know for a while, But I would say, um, you know, the total cost of ownership uh, is looking better than when we thought coming in Uh, and uh, the, the ability to do multiple charges in many of these duty cycles, either with returning to that base and getting another charge. Um, you know, not all the way up to 100 percent, but maybe just from 20 to 50 percent is is really helpful. And then you know before we get the truck stop electrification and infrastructure, we're going to have what you know we what some are calling electricity hubs or even some just like uh, in route charging. so some of these return to base, you know if it's if it's 250 miles out, you might just simply be able to put a charger at that outbound place, have that driver charge there, relatively fast charging. I mean, we're, we're talking about a megawatt charging, which means you can charge the biggest battery pack we know of right now on heavy duty in less than 40, around 45 minutes. That's not that much longer than, than diesel. I mean, it yeah, is, think, it is, but it's, you know, it's kind of manageable.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, this is, I should not bring up this analogy because one's a car and the other's a truck, but my brother in law, did drive his Tesla from Florida to New York recently. And, you know, of course, the Tesla system is such that it, it, it tells you where the next charger is. So that's great. Of course, there's no reason you can't have that in trucking as well. So he really didn't have any problem. Um, you know, the one thing that concerns me long term is, you know, right now you have an infrastructure for refueling that is designed for kind of one way of doing it. You know, the the, the truck stop, uh, the gas station, whatever. Uh, I, I get concerned about the ability to have Enough capital for two recharging systems. One would be for electric charge, and the other would be for hydrogen or diesel or something else. Kind of to your point about you know we're not ready for prime time on the uh, on the long term truck. So that's a concern that I have. I mean, you're talking about a significant amount of capital to to support two charging systems, and that, that, that's one that I don't think gets brought up a lot. That that is definitely a concern of mine.
0: No, and we share that. I mean, it's, um, I, I think we're going to, to go completely zero emission, even in free, let's just let's just assume like vocational trucks and, you know, Northern Canada logging is going to stay diesel. So let, let's don't say that all 100% are going to go electric or hydrogen, but just the over the road sort of, um, you know, regional haul and, and, uh, and sleeper trucks like we're talking about. I think we're going to end up with both if we're going to have to, if we're going to decarbonize and go to zero. So both electric and hydrogen fuel cell electric trucks with that, then we're going to need um, some amount of infrastructure. Now, whether I I think what's going to happen is, uh, you know, sort of in that middle, which is going to dominate. So is this going to be like 50, 50, you know, if we go out 30 years, I don't know, 25, 30 years, is this going to be 50%? Battery electric trucks and 50% hydrogen fuel cell or more like what we're kind of thinking, like 90-10. So if it's 90-10 or 80-20, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm personally saying, I'm personally saying 80% electric and 20% hydrogen fuel cell electric, then, um, you know, then maybe that's a different story where the hydrogen then needs to be in some very specific places. I think the, the EPA and the DO or the DOE, I should say, in their funding for hydrogen hubs, they're kind of going through that thinking right now with the whole industry. Okay, well, where would you put these hydrogen hubs? Where would you put those to limit the amount of hydrogen distribution you need to make? Because, you know, uh, there's tons of compare and contrast battery electric and hydrogen, right? One of the challenges of hydrogen is you got you have to transport it. You have to transport it in liquid form to make any sense. So you've got trucks and trailers, and you know, and so what's the distances that you're needing to do that? Um, so the whole uh, infrastructure point you're bringing up is huge, and it's going to depend not only on the infrastructure itself, but how far these trucks make sense, and what that what that sort of mix of battery and hydrogen will be long term. Um, you know, again, the battery truck is pretty uh, simple. The infrastructure is actually straightforward as well. Because, you know, we've been putting up skyscrapers and sports complexes. We know we kind of know what's going to need to happen to do a 10-megawatt trucking site because we've done others. Now, we get all the discussion about brownouts and is the grid ready and all that, and, you know, what percent of the grid is coal and what percent is renewable. We can, of course, have all those discussions. But at the end of the day, it's going to come down to for trucking, um, you know, what can the battery electric truck do and how far can it go to gain its impl- – you know, relative simplicity against um, you know a much more complex hydrogen fuel cell truck and the infrastructure uh, that's needed as well. So that's that's kind of where we're at right now as we as we learn from the run and the other research that NAC has been doing.
1: Well, let's talk about if you were able to calculate kind of a miles per gallon equivalent uh, for this. Now I, I'm not sure how you would do it. It would seem to me, off the top of my head, let me give you my half-baked theory that you would say, well, okay, we had to spend X amount of dollars of for to acquire the electricity to run it that would bring you that would buy you x number of gallons of diesel which has an average rate of let's say nine miles per gallon i mean did you do something like that and
0: yeah so we've done that and you know it's in the two it's in the yeah so the uh mpg equivalent of a heavy electric truck is like two and a half times two to two and a half times uh the diesel counterparts somewhere in the 18 mile per gallon piece but it's so there's so much there right so you know um let me just use an absurd analogy you've got school buses that of course we want to get emissions away from our kids even the clean diesels we want to you know we'd like to do that but they, they, they they use very little electricity so the savings when you compare you know 30 miles a day or 50 miles a day on diesel versus electricity is, is kind of difficult. It's not a lot of savings there. So, um, and, and when you get up the bigger ones, so bigger trucks, it's, you know, quite different, of course. So, uh, all of it, all of it kind of depends on the duty cycle, the situations at the, at the locations, you know, some people are saying that electric trucks will only be on the coast forever yet uh, utility costs in Nebraska are pretty cheap. So maybe there's, um, you know, places where, from a TCO standpoint, which every fleet manager in a country thinks about it, all of us in trucking have been you know, just ingrained with pay attention to what it costs because, um, you know, uh, profits are lean and me you know, and difficult. And so we have that in our blood. So that will help us out a lot, make these um, different technologies successful, because quite frankly, diesel that we've known and, and loved is, um, you know, uh, on its way out um ultimately because of what it's just doing i mean unfortunately because it's been a great fuel but uh this generation of fleet managers are the first to, to really start this transformation to something else
1: hey yeah, also another thing i think about total cost of operation you know we everybody talks about the truck driver shortage we at freight waves do not tend to believe in it but regardless uh and then the other big idea the other big concern here is the diesel mechanic shortage And I I will never forget the first time I saw a diesel engine and a battery engine side-by-side. I mean, the contrast is real and staggering. And uh, so, you know, what what is the total cost of operation? If you don't have to sweat hiring a diesel mechanic, you can hire a lot fewer battery engine mechanics um, and still get
0: the job done. An interesting thing that my team brought up as we were kind of, almost brainstorming, what have we learned here? And it was around the people that we interviewed, 122 people at these 10 sites directly responsible, plus another 30 or 40 or 50 that we met. They're all like really into this and they're excited about it. And quite frankly, John, I mean, it, it was very diverse. Um, 49% of the 122 people were either women or, or, or people of color. And so this is, a, uh, you know, I think electric trucks and, and, and you know, we also see this a bit in automation and some other of these technologies, just bringing some really smart dedicated, you know, uh, passionate people into our industry. We, we've kind of fallen in uh, my, my, me, myself as well. We've kind of like, well, you know, we're just the trucking industry. Well, the trucking industry is now pretty cool and, um, and it's got huge challenges. And so, uh, I do see, uh, you know the people that have, that have come into the industry that may not have been here if we were still doing you know kind of the old way. Um, uh, really exciting, and uh, you know I'm going to be at Women in Trucking in a month in Dallas, and uh, you know we'll see uh, just a, a lot of capable, exciting people there. Like, on and on, so that 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 makes me um, hopeful because there's a ton of challenges making this happen.
1: Yeah, I, I attended the uh, the Sierra League Conference, which is the big energy conference. I mean, I've been going to it since the '90s. And I went to it last year in Houston in March. In fact, I just signed up today, this morning to go next year. And the one thing about it, you know, you could talk about hydrogen. First of all, the meeting, the joke was they should turn it into a hydrogen meeting. Okay, because that's all they talked about. And what you really, what really strikes you is the brain power going into this. It is significant.
0: Yeah, it is. You really it, it, and and uh, it's not like I don't I don't see it as a you know a short term thing. I mean, I think it's uh, they the, the group doesn't want to just show it can be done. Like you know, in the last few weeks I've been talking that you know Red right on Less was uh, showing the art of the probable, not the art of the possible. It's not like you know uh, research and like engineering things. These are real production level trucks being operated by by fleets in a way to make them as successful as we can with limited range and longer fuel time. And uh, if one thing I've learned in our industry in 35 years is that, um, you know, throw us the challenge. We may not like it, but we'll we'll, we'll figure it out because at the end of the day, we got to move the goods, right? Or, or like my friend at Rakesh at, uh, at Daimler says, if we, if we don't do that, we'll all be sitting around hungry and naked. And so we we, uh, we take that responsibility, you know, extremely seriously in this industry and then we'll figure it out. And we're, I think the Run On Less, you can see it right now at runonless.com. These are 10 places that are, that are quote unquote, figuring it out. Well, Mike, I
1: could talk to you about this all day, but we're going to have to bring it down to a close. So anyway, I want to thank uh, Mike Roth talking about Run On Less. He's with the North American Council for Freight Efficiency. If there was a takeaway number from this. Eighteen miles per gallon is a pretty good number, you know.
0: Um, yeah, yeah, and you know we're it. it you know, we had uh, we had one truck that did a thousand and seventy six miles in twenty four hours. They did four hundred miles on a state of charge. I mean, those numbers for all of us doing this work, we're like, oh my god, you know, maybe this is a bigger part of the industry and a quicker than than we thought. Of course, a lot of the challenges that we've talked about in the time we've had together, but um, um, you know, it's here, it's real, and uh, we'll see how far how far and how fast it goes.
1: And we're glad that you've been here. So anyway, Mike Roth, thanks for joining us here today on Drilling Deep. Uh, You've been watching Drilling Deep. We are part of the – or just listening to it. You could be watching it. You could be listening to it. Uh, We are part of the FreightCast family of podcasts from FreightWaves. You can find us on all the leading podcast platforms as well as YouTube. I've been your host, John Kingston, and please join us again. (laughs)